I'm taking it for granted tonight that uh, most of you are familiar with the name Ernest Hemingway. Probably at some point, some merciless high school literature teacher has subjected you to read The Old Man in the Sea, or maybe even um, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Ernest Hemingway was, uh, of course, a famous American author from the 20th century, and if, if barring that, maybe you've visited uh, Ernest Hemingway's home in Key West, Florida, and you've petted the six-toed cats that live there that are descendants from his six-toed cats. Maybe uh, deformed pets are your thing or whatever. But there's a legend from the life of Ernest Hemingway that says one night when he was a young man, when he was just aspiring to be an author, before Ernest Hemingway was Ernest Hemingway, that he was sitting with some, some of his friends who were also writers, and they were sitting in a bar. And as the conversation got longer and longer, and as the, the blood alcohol levels got higher and higher, as they smoked their cigarettes and talked about perfecting their craft, the, the friendly banter kind of shifted into a friendly wager. And Ernest Hemingway, being braggadocious, began to talk about his abilities as a writer. And finally, they bet him. They said, Ernest... We bet that you are not as good of a writer as you think. And he said, oh, I'm going to be the great American novelist, the great American author. And they said, well, we bet you're not good enough to write a really great story with a hundred words. And Ernest Hemingway said a hundred words. I could write a great story with 50 words. Oh, they said, if you're so great, why don't you do it with 25? He said, 25, I can do it in 10. And they said, oh, you think you're that good? Why don't you do it in five? He said, I can't do it in five. But I can do it in six. Here's Ernest Hemingway's six-word story. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Now, chances are that conversation never happened. But Ernest Hemingway was a great writer because he knew that stories pack a punch. It's been said that a picture is worth a thousand words, but a story is worth a thousand pictures. Tonight, you and I as God's people, we have believed the greatest story that's ever been told. A story not told by any mere human author, but a story being written by God Himself. The story of how our God rescues His people from their sin as we sang just now, from our graves through the death and resurrection of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And as the people of God, we have been commissioned with sharing that story with the world that needs to hear it. We don't do a great job of sharing that story, do we? We just don't really do a great job of talking about Jesus. A recent study by Lifeway Research indicated that 79% of unchurched Americans had a friend that was a professed believer, that 79% of them wanted wanted their believing friends to talk about their faith. And yet those unbelievers said that only 3 out of 10 of them had ever had those conversations with their believing friends. I've heard before that statistically only 5% of Christians ever lead another person to faith in Christ. I want to help you become a five percenter. I want to become a five percenter. I want to be a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus. 
And I know that somewhere deep inside of you, if you believe this story, you want to do a good job of sharing this story. You want to be able to connect the story of Jesus that you believe to the story of the life of those people in your life who need to hear this story. You want to do more than just enjoy hearing the preacher tell the story. You want to do more than just enjoy hearing your Sunday school teacher tell the story every week for year after year. You want to be able to be able to, to, to tell the story. And I know that I know that you know you need to share your faith. A lot of you tonight probably feel guilty because you're not in the five percent. Like maybe you're less than a Christian because you don't talk about Jesus maybe as much as you could or as much as you should. Maybe you don't feel like you're equipped to do it. Maybe you think, you know, these professionals on TV, those preachers there, they make it look so easy. My Sunday school teacher makes it look so easy. I can't do what they do. I can't talk about the Bible like they do. Maybe you feel ineffective. You feel like you just don't know what to say. Maybe you just hate those awkward conversations. Maybe you just really don't know how to turn a conversation with somebody who's ringing up your groceries into matters of eternal importance and significance. Tonight I want to begin working through a series of sermons or messages or, or whatever you want to call it to help you both reimagine and reinterpret your Bible and retell the story of Jesus. And I want to begin tonight... By talking to you about how Jesus shared the story of Jesus. How did Jesus share the gospel? How did Jesus share the gospel? I want to show you that in John chapter 3. Take your Bible and turn there with me. John chapter 3 and verse number 1. John chapter 3 and verse number 1. There is a way to share the gospel that is comfortable, natural, and faithful. There is a way to share the story of Jesus like Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 1. The Bible gives us this story. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 3 lets us eavesdrop on a conversation between a confused man and Jesus who takes that confused man and just makes it so much worse. The man we're introduced to is a man by the name of Nicodemus. I'm sure you've heard sermons about Nicodemus. You may know Nicodemus by now better than Nicodemus knew himself. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Some people have speculated that maybe that's because he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. Some people have thought that maybe Nicodemus was busy. Jesus was clearly busy. This is the only time that they could get together. But regardless of the motive, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says to him, Listen, we can tell there's something unusual about you. Nobody could do the kind of things that you do unless God sent them. What Nicodemus is really saying is something along the lines of, We haven't seen somebody work in the power of God like you, Jesus, in centuries. It's been generations since we've seen somebody sent with the power of God. And Nicodemus would have known all about the history of the people of Israel. We're given two clues about Nicodemus' identity in this passage. The first is that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. That is to say that he is a conservative, religious thinker. He is a man of the Word. He is a man of God. He's a man who loves Israel and who loves the Scriptures. But the second clue is probably even more telling. Not only was he a Pharisee, not only was that his particular doctrinal bent, but he was also a ruler of the Jews. That is, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, there's not a really an apples-to-apples apples comparison to what the Sanhedrin were and to the governing bodies in our world, but just kind of imagine in your mind, to make this easier on us, just kind of imagine in your mind the Supreme Court of the United States if the law of the land was not the Constitution but was the Old Testament law of God. That's Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows his Bible backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, inside and out, upside and down. He knows it. In fact, he'd probably memorized it as a child or a teenager. He knew the Hebrew Scriptures. But just because Nicodemus understood the Bible did not mean that he understood Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and he says to him, Listen, teacher, we know that there's something unique about you. And Jesus just drops the bomb on him, doesn't he? Nicodemus, truly, truly, which is Jesus' way of saying, listen, listen. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. To paraphrase that, Jesus says to this man, in all of his curiosity, he says to him, Nicodemus, unless you become somebody other than who you were born to be, you will never see God. Nicodemus says, what? He says, how can I be born a, a second time now that I'm old? Can I... Enter into my mother's womb. I know she's not going to go for that. I'm definitely not going to go for that. He says, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus begins to explain what it means to be born of water and to be born of spirit. And Nicodemus is just still sitting there looking at him the way your dog looks at your vacuum cleaner. And finally, Jesus reaches that great climax in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. One of the greatest statements ever made by Jesus, one of the greatest facts ever presented to the human mind. 
Now just think about the vastness of John 3.16. In that one sentence, Jesus touches on the theological depths of the love of God. He talks about the work of His sacrifice on the cross. He talks about the necessity of faith for eternal life. Jesus talks about life and death, eternal, big, difficult to understand, abstract concepts. But before Jesus said that, Jesus told Nicodemus a Bible story. You can't understand John 3.16 without going back to John 3.15 and without seeing that connected to John 3.14 where Jesus says, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man will be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You see what Jesus does here? Jesus shares the gospel. Not with a sales pitch, but with a story. Now this is the first principle I want you to see in this passage of Scripture here. That when we share the gospel, the effective and faithful way to do it is to share the gospel with stories and not with sales pitches. Jesus harnesses the power of story as He relies on Nicodemus's recollection of the story of Moses and the poisonous snakes and the bronze serpent from the book of Numbers. And this, this statement, this verse in John 3.14, this could just as easily begin with, once upon a time, Moses and the children of Israel were in the wilderness. It could just as easily begin with, it happened long ago in a place far, far away. Jesus packages deep theological truth in simple, digestible form by using the power of story. Now I want to ask you, is that the way you were taught to share the gospel? It's not the way I was taught to do it. In evangelism explosion and share Jesus without fear, that's not the way I was taught to do it. I was taught to memorize a bunch of disconnected Bible verses, to organize them around a specific set of questions and an outline, and this is the framework that you use in every single gospel conversation, every single evangelism opportunity. This is what you do. And I think tonight that it could be that the reason we lack such commitment to share the gospel, and we feel like we lack such competency to share the gospel, is because we've never latched on to this secret that Jesus put right here in the Bible. That you can share the gospel from the stories of the Bible. See, most of us have been trained to share the gospel as if we're making a sale and not as if we're telling a story. Jesus isn't trying to make a sale here. Jesus is telling a story. Now, how many of y'all have ever had a sales job? Like a high-powered, commission-based, that's terrible, isn't it? It's just the worst. There are some people... Because of their personality, their temperament, you know, they're, they're like apex predators out there in the sales world, and they do great. And then some of us, we're just the guppies getting consumed alive. And what seems to happen to us as believers is because we have this mindset that sharing the gospel is making a sales pitch, there are some people that are just outgoing, gifted evangelists, and they are the sharks, and the rest of us are just the guppies. And we feel like we're hands-off. We don't know how to do it. It's not for us. Evangelism is just not our thing. And I think that maybe tonight the reason we fail to share the gospel regularly and the reason we fail to share the gospel really effectively is because we've been trained to do it in a way that just doesn't work. We've been trained to share the gospel in a way that doesn't stick. And so we're stuck sharing the gospel with ideas that really don't stick. Can we do an experiment to see if I'm right? I don't know. My whole thesis was going to sink or swim on this moment. It's a lot of pressure. I hope you can feel it. 
I'm not going to ask you to say it. But does anybody here feel like you could, if I grabbed a microphone and brought it to you, does anybody here feel like you could quote Isaiah 53, 6 to me? You, you, know, you do know the verse. I'm, I'm sure you know it. But I'll tell you, Isaiah 53, 6, can you bring it to mind? We've got one taker. All we like sheep have gone astray. So you know the verse, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned aside to our own way. And He, that's the Lord, has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6 is a common, common Bible verse that stuck in tons of evangelistic presentations. Why can't you remember it? The reason you can't remember it is because it's disconnected from everything. The reason it doesn't connect in your mind is because it's not connected to anything. Now, see if you know where we're going with this. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, when he finds that one of them is missing, will not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that's lost? That's a story that you know, that Jesus told, that illustrates the theological statement embedded in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6. What Jesus does in Luke 15, He does it in Matthew 18 when He gives the parables of the lost sheep. What Jesus does is He grounds those theological truths from disconnected Bible verses. And He puts them down here in the dust of the real world where people live. And He lets you feel the panic of a shepherd who realizes that a sheep that he loves has gone missing. And He lets you imagine, I don't know how you see it in your mind, but you do see it, don't you? And you see that shepherd walking through those rocky crags and along those steep cliffs. And you see him crossing over the river. And you see him calling out for the sheep. And you see him listening, listening very attentively until he can hear it. And go after the sheep. And then you see in your mind the shepherd overcome with joy putting the sheep on his shoulders and carrying it home. Jesus knew how to tell stories. To illustrate spiritual truth. That's what he does here with Nicodemus. He uses a story and not a sales pitch. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's no wrong way to train people to share the gospel. There's no wrong way to train people to share the gospel. But a lot of times, a lot of times, we get stuck trying to remember all this stuff. We feel like we can't do it, and so we don't do it. But here's the good news for you. All these Bible stories, they're already stuck in your brain. You have a whole library of spiritual and theological truth that's wedged into your mind thanks to church services and sermons and Sunday school teachers and coloring books. And I'm going to show you in just a minute that Jesus is the hero in every single one of those stories. And that every single one of those stories is a platform to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. And what's remarkable, this is when this started to crystallize for me several years ago. What's remarkable is that when the apostles of Jesus shared the gospel in the book of Acts, do you know what they didn't do? They didn't come before people with a systematic three-point outline. They preached the gospel by telling stories. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. They're speaking in tongues. The Jews around the disciples, they think, man, they must be drunk. Peter stands up, begins the first Christian sermon with a sarcastic statement. Hey, we're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. What's happening to us is what Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2. And from Joel chapter 2, he immediately goes into the story of David. From Psalm 16, and he says to those Jews, he says, look, you know that David, our hero, our leader, our king, he's dead and buried. We can go put the flowers on his grave now. But the son of David, 
the one that death could not hold. He's alive, and he calls you to repent and believe. Peter does the same thing in Acts chapter 3. He and John are on the way to the temple. The crippled man there begging for money. Peter and John say, look, man, we don't have any money to give you. But what we do have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That joker jumps up, and he has a breakdance party right there on his brand new legs. And naturally, he draws a crowd. And Peter's not one to waste an opportunity. He begins to preach. Read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3. And he runs through the entire narrative of the Old Testament. Bible story after Bible story. And nobody did this better in the book of Acts than Stephen. Read Stephen's sermons in Acts chapter 7. Stephen runs through thousands of years of Jewish history. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Moses. And on and on and on he goes to make one point through story. And the one point is that the God of Israel was never confined to the borders of Israel or to the temple in Israel. And what they did in every single one of those instances, in every single one of those instances, they took stories from the Bible. They used them to tell the story of Jesus. They connected the story of Jesus to the story of their audience. To tell their audience the story of Jesus can change the story of your life. Every single time, that's what they did. Sharon Heights, that's what God calls us to do too. The reason he calls us to do that is because we are story-driven creatures. It's the second principle I want you to take home with you tonight. We are story-driven creatures. When Jesus relies on the story of Moses and the bronze snake from the book of Numbers, he's tapping into something deep inside of Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew this story. Nicodemus probably grew up coloring pictures of Moses in his Sabbath school class as a faithful little Jew, you know? He knew this story. And Jesus latches into something in his mind and latches into something in his heart. What's more, Nicodemus not only knew this story, but Nicodemus knew his place in the ongoing saga of the people of Israel. And so what Jesus does, Jesus is going to insert himself into this story that Nicodemus knows to change Nicodemus' entire story. And I think Jesus does that Because as the God who made us, Jesus knows that we are story-driven creatures. We're story-driven creatures. We not only like stories, we can't help but tell stories. They're in our DNA. Stories that we hear shape our identity. They bequeath to us our understanding of our place in our society, in our community, in our family, in our world. They do mold our religious way of thinking, form our relationships. When a mom picks up her kids in the car rider line at school and she asks those little guys, how was your day today? She is inviting her family into a world of story. When we scroll social media for hours on end, we are seeing people present themselves to the world in the method of their preferred narrative. Here's the story I want to tell. So much so that at least Facebook and Instagram have story features. Here's your story. Present it. To the world. When you go home tonight and you watch your television, chances are you're going to be watching a story. Even if it's a documentary, they're going to be telling a story. You watch a football game. The play-by-play guy, he's telling you a story, right? Probably the David and Goliath story of an underdog trying to accomplish an impossible victory. It's interesting that they're telling a Bible story right in the middle of a football game, isn't it? But then that football game goes to commercial, and they show you a commercial for some kind of new wonder drug that can cure baldness and eczema. Kidney stones. And while they take that little five-minute segment to give you all the horrible side effects that it's you know going to do all this terrible stuff to 
destroy your pancreas and kidney and liver. You're going to see some sweet little senior couple playing frisbee at the park. What are they doing? They're bringing you into a story. Take this drug. Talk to your doctor about it. And you'll be as happy as these people are. Right? And even in our increasingly skeptical Western culture, we have this deep suspicion in the back of our brain that whoever is controlling the narrative, those are the people controlling the world. Whoever's controlling the story, that person has the real power. It's almost as if we know somehow deep inside of us that the storytellers, those are the really powerful people. Is it any wonder then that 75% of your Bible is made up of stories? Three quarters of your Bible is stories. Stories about heroes, stories about villains, stories about kings, stories about leaders, stories about terrible moral failures, stories about shepherds and warriors and poets and scoundrels, and on and on and on. That's why stories connect. Stories connect. And because stories connect, that's why you can remember the story about a lost sheep, but you can't remember Isaiah 53, 6. Because stories lodge in us. In fact, the people in your life that need Jesus the most They think about their lives as if it's a story. You do this too, even if you never realize it. You think about yourself in terms of good guys and bad guys. And you go through a powerful loss in life. And you see the close of one chapter and the beginning of a new chapter. You think about the past as the first volume and the future as the second volume. We see ourselves at the center of a story. Because the truth is, That we all are in the great big story that God is telling. Whether we believe it or whether we reject it. We're all in the middle of this story that God is telling. To rescue a fallen world from itself. To save from sin. To bring sinners into a new world. That's the story God is telling in Christ. And we're all part of it. We're all part of it in some way. We are story driven creatures. I could go further at this point. And maybe I will sometime. But it's worth thinking about that you and I are so devoted to hearing and sharing and seeing life in story. When all we are is made up of dirt from the ground. Dirt that God spoke into being. All you are is made up of words is what I'm trying to tell you. We are story driven creatures. Third principle I want to give you tonight is that Jesus is the hero of every story. Jesus is the hero of every story in Scripture. Here Nicodemus sits, confused, trying to put together this hash that Jesus is laying out there about being born again. It's dark. Crickets are chirping. I don't know if they have crickets in Israel. The lamps are dying out. The evening is cool. Nicodemus is just not getting it. Jesus tells him a Bible story. Nicodemus. Just as Moses. And all of a sudden the scene set in Nicodemus' mind. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. Even so, the Son of Man will be lifted up. So that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God, here's the story. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What Jesus does in that moment is He reinterprets the story of Moses with Himself as the interpretive sinner and says, Nicodemus, that story is about me. And if you miss me right in the middle of that story, then you've missed the story that God is writing altogether. 
And y'all, if you read the Gospels, Jesus was notorious for doing this. He does it in John chapter number 1 with the story of Jacob's ladder. You remember that story where Jacob has this vision of the stairway leading up to heaven, angels going up and down? Read what Jesus says to the disciples in John chapter number 1. He says, I am the stairway. He does it in Matthew chapter number 12 with the story of Jonah. He says, I am Jonah who's going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and be resurrected to bring grace and salvation to my enemies. Jesus says, I am the hero of every story. He does this in Luke chapter number 24 after his resurrection in verse 27. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He says to these Jewish men, let me tell you what Passover was really about. Let me tell you what that scapegoat on the Day of Atonement was really doing. Let me tell you about what was really happening when Ezekiel was preaching to those dry bones. Let me tell you about resurrection. John chapter 5. Talking to the Pharisees, he said, you search the Scriptures. You search them because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says, this Old Testament you've been reading, well, that's gospel literature. That's all about Jesus. Jesus situates himself over and over as the author and the central character of the story that God is telling. That means for us today that if we are Christians... If we are Christians, then this is how we interpret the Bible. We do it the way Jesus himself did it. And storytelling with Christ at the center is the very pulse of all Christian theology. Because it is the pulse of Christ himself. And that's why the Bible itself reads like a great big long story. The Bible could just as easily begin with once upon a time and end with they all lived happily ever after. Because this is the story of a curse that is broken through the self-giving sacrifice of a promised child who destroys the snake king and delivers his people. This book is the story of the conqueror who slays the dragon and rescues his bride. This book is the story of a rags to riches tale of an exiled people who are brought to an eternal home through the one that loved them. This is a story of a monster who's slain forever and for good. This story is every plot subsumed into one plot so that the gospel is not only a true story, it is the true story. This is the story we can't, tell, we can't help telling ourselves over and over and over again. In the stories we tell, do you know what we're doing? We're just telling the gospel to one another. What better way to share the gospel than from the stories that are actually preaching the gospel? The British... Author Dorothy Sayers said this, The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that staggered the imagination of men, and the dogma is the drama. The dogma is the drama. It's what a gospel is. A gospel is a happy announcement. It is good news. It is good news. Not a fairy tale, not a myth, not a legend. But it is a story that happened. It is the story. So what is Scripture? Scripture is not disconnected stories. It's not a bunch of just random, arbitrary commands God gives us. But it is the story of God's work in Christ. And every single story in the Bible tells that story. So here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Not next week because it's Mother's Day. I'm going to go out to eat with my kid's mom. That's what I'm going to do next Sunday night. And she's going to pick. Mother's Day is the one day of the year, guys, when they have to pick. They have to. You know, they also, where do you want to eat? I don't care. Well, they have to care next Sunday. So, now, 
Every story tells this story. You know these stories. And you can share the gospel from the Bible stories you know. And so on Easter, I had I asked you, what's your favorite Bible story? And many of you answered and, and shared different Bible stories. I'm going to start going to start working through them. I'll probably just do them in the order that they appear in the Bible. With the idea of helping you see the gospel in those stories and helping you think through how to share the gospel from those stories. But I'm going to make an exception for the first one I'm going to do. Because, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there are smart alecks that come to Sharon Heights Baptist Church. And somebody wrote on one of those cards that their favorite Bible story was when those guys made fun of Elijah for being bald and he called down the she-bears out of the woods. And so when we meet together again on Sunday nights, I'm going to tell you how you can share the gospel. How you can share the gospel from that story. You don't believe you can, do you? You don't believe it. So there ain't no Jesus in that story. Sure there is. Elijah is a rejected prophet. Mocked, scorned, and ridiculed who turns the wrath of God on his enemies. Jesus is the rejected prophet who takes the wrath of God for the place of his enemies. What's your favorite Bible story? You can share the gospel from these stories that you know and from these stories that you love. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do for me. I'm going to ask you to go to DG, go to Walmart, Target, wherever you buy your goods. You can probably do it at the grocery store. And I want you to buy a notebook and or a journal. And I want you to come ready to learn and ready to hear how these stories share the gospel. So that you have in your mind and in your heart the tools necessary to share the gospel with people. Because I'm going to challenge our church to do two things. The first one may not be as easy as it sounds, but it should be pretty easy. And that is to start listening to sermons evangelistically. What I mean by that is this. It's not an accident that you're going to be around the people you're going to be around tomorrow having heard the sermons you heard today. You ever thought about that? What could you take from what you heard today in Sunday school, preaching, sermon, whatever? What could you take from what you heard today to the people that you'll be around tomorrow? Most of us just never make that bridge, do we? We really don't. But I want to encourage you to start making that bridge. The second challenge I'm going to put before us is I want, by the grace and the power of God, I want God to open a door in front of us as a church body so that over the next few months, we have, as a church, 1,000 Bible story conversations with people that need Jesus. Say, that sounds like a whole lot. Not really. It's only five or six piece. It's not a lot. And I want to figure out, I'm not a designer, but I want to figure out some way to visualize this so we see it happening week by week that we really are sharing the story from the stories that we know. Because God wants us, God wants us to be a people who, just like Jesus, take the Bible and open it up and share from the stories we know. So what can I do this week? Because we ain't got to the she-bears yet. What can I do this week? Here's what you can do. You can ask somebody, what's your favorite Bible story? And they're going to tell you. Now, they may mangle it bad. They may have Moses on the ark. They might have Lot as one of the disciples. Who knows? You listen and you smile and you pray, Lord God, help this person. Just 
And then you say to them, let me tell you my favorite Bible story. And then you say, you know what this story is really all about? Say, this story is all about the story God is telling in the world. Of how he saves through his son. Think, well, Brother Jesse, you hadn't, hadn't touched on my story yet. I don't know how it connects to Jesus. That's okay. That's okay. Because all you have to say is, you know what this story is really about? And then you say, I'm going to show you all the complicated ways. But, it makes you look really smart. This story is about the story of Jesus. The one story God is always telling. Tonight what we're going to do is I just want us as a church body to pray that God restores our evangelistic passion and commitment to share the gospel and to share the story of Jesus.